Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your daily dose of news in Chicago and beyond. Well, we've made it to Friday, everyone, and that means it's time for our weekly news recap. Coming up, Chicago aldermen sought to protect reproductive health care and access to gender-affirming care. Chicago aldermen are advancing a proposal to protect people who travel to the city for an abortion, gender-affirming care, fertility treatment, or birth control. More city council members joined a wave of resignations over the last month. Longtime 21st Ward Alderman Howard Brookins Jr. announced today he is retiring at the end of his term. Migrants bust from Texas continue to arrive at Chicago's Union Station. More than 100 migrants are spending their first night in Chicago. They are the largest group sent from Texas so far. And a leaked membership database shows that 900 Illinois residents have been involved with the far-right extremist group, the Oath Keepers. A new report finds nearly 900 Illinois residents are linked to the far-right group, the Oath Keepers, including law enforcement officers and military members. We've got a lot to cover this week, and here to break it down with me is Laura Rodriguez-Presa, who covers the Latino community for the Chicago Tribune, Alex Nitkin, who's now a reporter with the Better Government Association, and Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. Alex, the wave of departures from city council continued this week. It's a little hard to keep track, but can you try to get us up to speed? Okay, so speaking of scions of uh, dynasties... He pulls out his list. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Howard Brookins is the latest in this long parade of of either resignations or announcements of non-re-election that we've heard from the city council. Howard Brookins... um, uh, represents the 21st Ward, far south side. I would say this one is not quite as surprising as maybe some of the others. He's been around for 20 years since 2003 or will have been around for 20 years. He's the son of um, former state senator Howard Brookins Sr. Uh, he is, I think, not surprising in part because he has, like a lot of his colleagues, a side gig. He's a trial lawyer. He actually ran uh, for the bench to be a judge earlier this year and came up short, surprising a lot of folks. Um, but he is now the, by my count, as I bring up my spreadsheet, 11. Uh, he is the 11th sitting alderman to announce he's not running for re-election. Wow. That's on top of three others who resigned or were forced to resign midterm. Um, I did a little math that is 199 years of collective experience that uh, will leave the city council. My goodness. Um, it's a whole other conversation about why they're leaving. You know, like with with Brookins and and Garza, the 10th Ward Southeast Side Alderman, who we heard about, um, if you ask any of them individually, they're going to say, well, this is just about me personally. I want to spend more time with my family and all that. Um, I think that there can be a temptation to laugh that off a little bit. Sure, that's what they all say. Um, Something (laughs) must be different this year. But I, I think that we should allow them that there is something to that. It's been a pandemic. It's been social unrest higher crime that these folks have had to preside over. It's an extremely rigorous job. And uh, a lot of them, my sense is they really are truly and genuinely exhausted. Yeah, well, Brookins had some colorful language about Chicago politics and the many, quote, backstabbers that he's encountered, didn't he? Right. He was talking about, and I think maybe one of the most memorable episodes of his time as alderman was in the the mid-aughts after he was sort of a more junior alderman. There was this long saga. He was trying to get a Walmart to come to his ward, it 
failed by one vote after, you know, some other of his colleagues had said that they were going to support him. I imagine that that's a huge part of what he was talking about. It led to a big rift between him and organized labor, made his relationship with Mayor Richard M. Daley pretty rocky. But since then, he's really settled in and become a pretty loyal, uh, quiet foot soldier for the two mayors who he has served under since. Uh, He is a committee chair. He generally almost always votes alongside Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And it's just another one of these kind of Older guard, generally loyal mm-hmm. uh, aldermen who are going to, even if Lightfoot is reelected, she's probably going to have a much more uh, yeah. uh, tumultuous city council in her case. So, Paris, mm-hmm. I, I want to get your thoughts on Alderman Brookins' political legacy and also if you can touch on, on Alderman Susan Sedlowski-Garza. Well, Susan Sedlowski Garza, um, that was a bit of a surprise. She was kind of a leader of the progressive uh, caucus and mm-hmm. city council. She comes from a long line of... Uh, Union uh, folks. She was a part of the CTU before. She, you know, was a, a staunch ally of Mayor Lightfoot. And then they had a fall. They passed a lot of legislation together. Then they had a falling out where uh, Garza said, I, "You know, I'm not, I can't vote for her. She she tends to tick off everybody she comes into contact with, although she didn't use the word tick. Uh, and so <laughs> I asked her, you know, what was this about? And she she didn't really get into that. Um, but I agree with Alex. I think there's exhaustion. I think the last four years with COVID, with all the stuff that happened in 2020, with people meeting on Zoom all the time. A couple of men told me a, a, a lot of the fun had been taken away from the job because it's it's a serious job, but it's fun when you get to mix it up at committee meetings or council meetings, and and it's it's a beehive and it's buzzing, yeah. and people really enjoy that. And and a lot of that has been taken away. I do also think that you know um, you mentioned Brookins and his legacy. I think a lot of folks might have faced some tough reelection battles, and they didn't have the stomach for it. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be major change. Brookins, as Alex said. Um, you know, his legacy is, is being an institutional guy for his ward on the South Side. Uh, he, he he was a stalwart. Uh, you mentioned his legacy with Walmart. Um, and uh, he, he he tended to go along with Mayors Emanuel and Daly. He, he didn't he didn't ruffle a whole lot of feathers, but he had a ton of institutional knowledge. And and a lot of those sort of stalwarts, as Alex mentioned, are gone. And it, it man, oh, man, I if, if we saw a kind of um uh, maybe we thought we were going to see a return to council wars this time around. Yeah. We, we might really see it next time. Now, here's a little bit of what Mayor Lightfoot had to say about these aldermanic departures. So the great resignation didn't pass us by. I think people are making uh, decisions about, again, what's in the best interest for them and their family. This is a tough environment to be an incumbent, to be a public servant. And many people are making the decision that um, it's time for them to move on and do something else. Lara, is is this, as the mayor says, simply another example of the great resignation? Because we've been seeing that a lot. Yeah, I definitely agree with Alex. It's it's a change. It's like this new normal, right? Life has changed after the pandemic. So it's no surprise that people, including the older men, older women, are just choosing a different path in life. Yeah. Let's hear the mayor's response to whether she might be contributing to this exodus. Look, I'm 60 years old. I'm not going to change who I am. Um, And um, I definitely um, will have and will continue to push people sometimes out of their comfort zone because that's what our residents are demanding of us. Alex, any thoughts on whether Lightfoot's personality is contributing to this changing of the guard? It is really interesting, and it's something that I keep coming back to what Paris just said, which is a refrain that we keep hearing over and over in different forms of this job just isn't fun anymore. And there are so many different (laughs) layers to that and ways to dissect it. I think that something that you do hear a lot from 
Alderman, you know, generally off the record is we just can't work as well with this mayor as we did yeah. with the previous mayors. The lines of communication are not there. The administration is not working with us as closely. They're sort of sapping our, our status. Um, I think a maybe more cynical retort to that that I've heard from some of the, the younger folks in the arena is that um, they some of these aldermen who were elected 10, 15, 20 years ago are suddenly looking up and realizing that. They have to be legislators, which right. was never really right. part of the deal. Classically, right. the job was that you were just a little mayor. You preside over your ward. You administer services, you know, give out turkeys on Thanksgiving, cut ribbons, and vote <laughs> uh, for <laughs> vote alongside the mayor. Nice, as easy long checklist. As, yeah, as long as the mayor is taking care of you and your constituents. And now a lot of these, these aldermen are sort of realizing the shifting dynamics in the city council are such that the administration is administering the services, um, and aldermen have to do things like, develop policy and like form coalitions within yeah. the city council to get things done and they're sort of like well this is not really what I thought the job was going to be when I started. Well to that end Laura let's let's talk about what city council was actually working on this week uh, starting with the ordinance that would protect abortion rights for out of state patients and providers what are the details? Yes yeah, so the 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 ordinance is pretty similar to or mirrored after the 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 ordinance of the sanctuary city so it's it's not allowing uh, the Chicago police uh, Chicago authorities to collaborate with federal government uh, to to share that information to protect people that come from out of state to to get an abortion um, and and that would mainly you know like like we see with the immigrants just not share any of that information to preside or, or uh, to to report any of, uh, of of that activity. Yeah. Alex, Alderman also had to make a decision this week on their pay raises. Fill us in on, on that process, and, and how did it actually turn out? Yeah, so this is something that kind of surfaces in headlines every year or so. Um, based on uh, inflation, the rule is that Alderman are able to, you know, just given a an opportunity to accept or deny um, a pay raise. It was obviously larger this year with inflation being hard, uh, larger. They had an opportunity for almost a 10% pay raise to get to a max uh, salary of uh, almost $143,000. Um, it was, you know, pretty mixed. It always becomes a kind of political hot button. And then you have, you know, reliably the, the likes of Alderman Raymond Lopez saying like, it's it's absurd. It's inconceivable that any Alderman would accept uh, a pay raise. I think it's always a... a Especially, you know, it's fraught a couple months before an election, but I think that it's always a sensitive uh, um, discussion that comes up because you could argue that, I mean, there is a staffing crisis across the city, including Mm -hmm. in the city council, as we've been talking about. And if you want to get a broader quality and quantity of candidates running uh, for elected office, especially when they could be doing more lucrative things like being attorneys, um, the way to do that is by – paying them more money. And so at the end of the day, the couple thousand dollars extra that is going to go to them is, is probably not going to make a whole lot of difference to um, the taxpayer, but it's more of a, a political football and, and yeah. you could argue could have a bearing. So on who, who said no thanks to this nearly 10% um, pay raise? It was 15, 15 out of the 50 are declining a pay Jeez. increase. Um, a lot of them sort of the you know, as I look at the list, a little younger, more ambitious. Um, and many of them folks. don't have other jobs. Uh, Most of them don't have other yeah, jobs. Yeah, right. Just, and, uh, so this would hurt them more. I mean. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the folks who, the, the older people who were asked why they accepted the job, they say, look, this is like an 80-hour-a-week, you know, 24-7 job. I'm That's getting texted in the middle of the night by my police commander about a shooting or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and I, 
my con- my constituents know that I I deserve this and I'm gonna take it. And you can't at a certain point you can't really fault them for that. But Laura, is it just me? I I wonder what it would be like to decide my own pay raise. Well, I really think that a lot of them do it. Incredible. Follow- well, a lot of them do it. I think following what they what they promise their their constituents, right? Like the people they serve. So sticking to whatever promise they made and, and assuming that their people are not getting an, a, a pay increase and they, they don't accept it. But yeah. I, I have to say, there were legislators several years ago that I they made a big show of, I am not taking my pay increase. And then after the fact... They, 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 they finagled a way to get their pay increase. I'm not saying that that's what, what aldermen are going to do here, but it's all politics and optics. You know, At the end you, of the day. You want to yeah. look like you're, you're with the folks. You know? I'm, I'm turning it down. I'm, I'm cutting, in the trenches with you. Maybe right, not right, now. Right, right. <laughs> I'm just like you. Right. Laura, a third group of migrants arrived in Chicago on Wednesday from Texas. Let's start with the most recent arrivals. How many people were there? How many people were there? And what do we know about them? Yeah, so the most recent one was this this last Wednesday, and it was about 150 people, um, three buses, mostly uh, families this time. And um, they have been arriving to Union Station just like the very first group. Uh, the only difference is that this time the the city and the local organizations are a little bit more ready to be there and pick them up rather than kind of like act, you know, rapid response. So mm-hmm. so that's the only big difference. Um, they've been taken all to the Salvation Army, to that shelter. That is where they uh, are housed uh, initially until they find um, a little bit more of a quote quote, permanent shelter until they get connected to the resources. So what other sort of help are they getting once they get here? Yeah. So once they get checked in, um, they, they do have a sort of like a, uh, a council. So they get, so uh, they need to find out exactly what help they need. A lot of them, it's important to know that are getting here to reunite with families that are in different states or maybe in different parts of Illinois. Okay. So because they don't have an option to get sent to whatever state they have the family at, then they get help from the it's organization New York, DC, here. Chicago. Those are the three states where the where they're being sent to from Texas. But these people come to meet people all over the country. Over. So Alabama, a lot of them are meeting uh, people in Atlanta. Like they just know people, so that helps a little bit because then obviously the the our you know the city government doesn't have to yeah. to care for them in terms of figuring out where they'll go next. And take us back, Laura. Most of the migrants, if it's my understanding that most of the ones who arrived in these pa- this past week, they're coming from Venezuela. Yes, most mostly. Yeah. I- Actually, all the all the migrants that have arrived are mostly from Venezuela. Any sense of why they left? Are of they course. talking? Yeah, yeah, no, they they all share the same story, right? They're they're um, fleeing extreme poverty um, and in in the government of a dictatorship. They say right that that doesn't allow them to uh, the opportunity to to find a better job uh, to feed their families. A lot of them just talk about how even with the job that they have, um, they can't feed their families, so they choose to make that. Uh, almost three-month trip from Venezuela, crossing different borders Goodness. to finally get to Texas. And and when we speak about why they're being sent, you know, the fact that they're being sent to Washington, New York, and Chicago, they actually have no idea about the politics behind it. I'm sure they don't. You've been following this as well, Alex? Yeah, it's just really, it, it's, it seems kind of silly on one level and obviously very sad that People who, you know, I actually, I, I lived in Venezuela for a year as an exchange oh, student did you? after high school, yeah, and got a real sense of, I, I mean, things had not gotten nearly as bad as they are 
now, but just of living under a very re- different, restricted kind of society and, yeah. and made a lot of friends and loved a lot of people there who would I would love to be able to see back up and, and join us. And just the fact that there is someone in Governor Abbott who sees these these people as as like just like a burden or a liability or like here you take them um is a little bit hard to to wrap my head around but yeah i'll I'll definitely be following with with laura's reporting and seeing what happens next it can't be lost though it's all politics and it's unfortunate people are being used as a political football governor abbott is facing re-election in texas maybe a tight re-election with beto o'rourke and He's been doing this, and this is the kind of thing that he calculates uh, will rile up the base mm-hmm. um, and gets him headlines and gets him on Fox News, and that's his calculation. But it doesn't seem like he's really thinking about the welfare. And these are people seeking asylum. These are not, you know, they're not quote unquote illegal. You know, so um, you would think. Based on the treatment, this they're I mean, they're, uh, uh, Laura, you know better than yeah. it, but they're following the the protocol. So and the law, yes, they're they're allowed. They're paroled into this country, so they're allowed in, right? They turn themselves into yeah. immigration. That is the reason why they are in in right. here. The only difference, though, is that obviously they're not given like some, any sort of permit to be here, uh, to work here. So that is the tricky part, right? When you are trying to help them set here or settle anywhere, mm-hmm. the the difference is that they, they don't have that permit. So that is Could more... Could that come down the line? Yes, 100%. But they need to apply for asylum, you know, start their case. And, and that means that they need uh, longer-term support. We're talking about one to three years until they finally get, yeah. um, you know, official, until they're official officially refugees here and they have a permit and they have everything settled. So for that, they need a lot of uh, legal support and a lot of financial support, too. And for some of them, it's like we've talked to I've talked to so many um, activists and and advocates overall. And the reality is, is that, like, you know, Paris mentioned, they are people they are being sort of, you you know, used. And and that is the very sad part. But the, the thing is that this country has seen immigrants uh, you know, for all the time, and 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 they just need to help each other settle here, and that that's kind of probably what will happen. You know, they're not going to be given permanent housing by the state or federal right. government. Uh, what they are doing now is just equipping them to kind of like make sure that they have enough uh, information and resources of how things work here for them, and and then they can figure it out. Well, we've mentioned Texas Governor Greg Abbott a, a couple of times in this conversation, Laura. What is the latest on that feud between him and our mayor? Lightfoot. Uh, the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, has been very vocal about how much she's against what uh, what uh, uh, Abbott is doing, right, and has uh, has been very critical of that of, of that work. And I, I just know that she was in Washington, um, I believe, this past was it yesterday. I know she posted a picture with uh, oh, I saw the President selfie with Biden. Biden. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that she's in conversations to to seek for more federal funding. Um, but overall, it's just you know this general statements of, of how she she doesn't agree with with the way uh, he he's dealing with that, and that she will continue welcoming um, uh, immigrants uh, migrants. I'm sorry, as they 
as they arrive. And I do know, for example, right now they are at Union Station mm-hmm. uh, waiting for what they expect to be a larger group to arrive um, from from Texas oh, really? right now. I should, yeah. I just, and we mentioned the politics of Governor. There's a pol- political aspect here for Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot. This is an opportunity of Governor Pritzker in a re-election, not oh, yeah. a, not a tight re-election. Uh, yeah. Mayoral it, election. Right. So it, it, and so it gives them the opportunity to to look compassionate uh, and to, to you know tout their bona fides of, of fostering a welcoming city like that, although there was this report that, that some of the migrants are going to Burridge. Now that, yes. But it's because there's yeah. a welcoming center there. and it's- uh, You know, here's the thing. So from the, we've requested information as to why they were being sent there as we have requested information about what are the steps that they're following. Um, they We haven't gotten much information, and I think that that's because it, it's still, like they are still, state, city are still in a rapid response sort of mm. mode, right, okay. as they arrive, because it, it's it, this is a total of... Uh, now uh, over 300 maybe people that have arrived in Chicago a lot of them are family so they need you know a, a lot of help yeah. um, well, it, well speaking of help I, I want to throw a question at you from Dell on Twitter asking as a medical student will they have any medical services provided or will it be up to community groups to make sure that they have their health needs addressed yeah so the organizations uh, that are collaborating with the city to welcome them um, include Esperanza Health Center and other uh, other health centers that are providing health screenings and they are giving them appointments to follow up with them and whatever they may okay. need um, going back to the Burridge situation um, I went out there yesterday we didn't get a reason as to why they were over there there, but I, I do know that they are keeping them there as uh, they wait to connect these families to more resources. I see. Why Burridge? I don't know. Um, and we do know for that the mayor of Burridge issued a statement saying that he had no knowledge or consultation from city or state staff uh, as to, you know, yeah. that letting him or letting his administration know that they were being sent there. Alex, how do you think this could play out during Chicago's upcoming mayoral election? I think that during the mayoral election, most of the candidates are going to be of one mind generally. I mean, I think that within the city itself, there's probably not a whole lot of debate. That's This is one issue where I think most, um, most candidates of, of different stripes will probably rally around the mayor, an exception might be some of the more police allied. Um, you know, I think Raymond Lopez has had some more hardline, um, not anti-immigration, but but uh, pro, you know, ICE sort of connecting with crime kind mm-hmm. of things. So I don't I, I, I tend to think that this is something that is disconnected enough from, you know, Chicagoans. Immigration is not something that we it tends to be on the top of our Minds, it's more, you know, cost of living and transportation and crime and things that affect us directly. Some um, of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Some of us. I, that's right. Um, but this is all a way of saying I, I don't see it as being much of a political wedge. I, I would or I would add, argue or add that once people start questioning where the funds are coming from to support these migrants as they arrive, it will be something that will be probably a priority that's a great point. Yeah. I, I should also add that the city council created a new committee, um, I think two years ago now, the Committee on Immigrant and Refugee, Refugee Rights. This was a big um, sort of accomplishment and project of Mayor Lightfoot. Um, it has since met uh, twice, yeah. and it has not met in more than a year. Um, you would think this could be a good opportunity for 
uh, yeah. the city council to actually get involved mm. and start talking about it. Well, uh, Shamrock Blue on YouTube says uh, the homeless encampment in Uptown that's being shut down today in favor of a bird sanctuary is bad optics, even though I love birds and the sanctuary idea. Yeah. All right, switching gears, Paris, uh, a new report from the Anti-Defamation League has some alarming news about the number of Illinoisans who are members of the far-right Oath Keepers. Who are they? Well, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting story. It's about 900 folks uh, in Illinois that uh, were on the membership rolls of the Oath Keepers. Now, this got leaked to the Anti-Defamation League. And the big takeaway here is uh, there are members of this group from all over the country, every single state, the blue states, the red states. Now, the ADL is not naming who these people are, and for good reason. Now, remember the debate about the gang database in Chicago. Sometimes people wrongly end up on that database, and, and it, it hurts their lives. They can't get a job. They can't get a house to rent or something like that. So, so the ADL is being very careful to say, well— all we know is these people are on the membership rolls, so they signed up one day to get information, and maybe they didn't know what the Oath Keepers were. Maybe mm-hmm. they were curious. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe when they learned what the Oath Keepers really were, um, they, the, then they weren't into it. But the other alarming thing is the Oath Keepers targets law enforcement, and there are many folks in law enforcement uh, on this list, there are many uh, ex-service members from the military on this list, and then there are many. There are some folks that are in elected office. Yeah, uh, some county level folks uh, in Illinois uh, that are on this. We don't know. This list is before the insurrection, by the way. Are you and surprised we, by these numbers? No, not at all. I mean, if if, if we saw what we saw on January sixth, yeah. I mean, this this is an issue that's been percolating. It's not just the Oath Keepers. It's it's an anti-government uh, right wing based on conspiracy theories and and uh, a desire for a more authoritarian type of system and not a democracy. Because you saw what happened on January 6th. The leader of the Oath Keepers is now on trial for seditious conspiracy. So I don't know. What they don't know is, is has that hurt membership in groups like this? Are they are they dying as a result of this, or are they recharging and regenerating and getting even, even bigger as a result? Speculation is they might, might be mm. um, recruiting more members. So that's something that uh, ADL and a lot of other groups like uh, the U of C has a, has a big uh, um, um, center that's studying this as well. Paris, this Sunday is the Bears' home opening game at Soldier Field. Just in time, we got a peek into what the Bears have planned for an Arlington Heights stadium. What does it look like? Well, it's just a big... I saw uh, some sketches. Yeah, it doesn't look like much right now, but uh, it's going to look like a big sort of entertainment center. It's going to be a big giant dome enclosed stadium that they said, and then mixed-use development. There's a metro station right there. They're going to have a hotel. They're going to have a music venue. It looks really ideal, and that means uh, that... Uh, Sounds great. Know, How much does it cost? It's yes. going to cost a couple, <laughs> couple bucks. And couple who's bucks. paying? Who's Five paying Five billion for dollars. Well, the McCaskey family is not paying for the whole thing, and they All made right. a point of saying last night that McCaskey... Caskies, of course, are the owners. They said we're just a, we're just a you know we're just a football team or we're a family business. Well, they 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 own a business that's worth multiple billion dollars. But <laughs> a little mom and pop. yeah, we're a just little a mom little mom and business. pop. <laughs> but no, they they can't afford to finance this, so they need institutional investors and they also need public f- help, public financing. And they said, oh. Yes. They said we need money for everything but the stadium. The stadium, we get it. The politics are such that no one's going to support taxpayer money to help us build our stadium. But we've got these homes and these condos and these other buildings. We're going to need infrastructure help. You know, it's up to taxpayers to pay for the roads and the sewers and all that. So they need that help. Um, I would say this is a done deal unless they can't get the financing together. But I talked to some like institutional people in the, in the whole banking world, and they're like, this is a, this is a 
people want to invest in this. If you're a bank, if you're an institutional investor, this this is a huge. It's a gold mine. This is a gold mine. This is the Chicago Bears. And it, this is a huge brand in Chicago, and so people are lining up to be a part of it. So I would say it's a done deal. And, and Mayor Lightfoot, um, I, I, yeah. I don't. But I've made the point over and over again. They don't want to stay at Soldier Field. They're renting it from the Park District. It's 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 not a modern enough stadium to compete with the other stadiums. They want their own stadium. The well, only- well, let's hear what the mayor okay. has to say about that because she's still hoping to keep the Bears at Soldier Field. We're going to continue our discussions with the league. Um, but as you know, I'm some, somebody who likes to plan. So we've got plan B, plan C, um, and others um, in the works as well if the Bears decide that they're going to abandon the city of Chicago. So, Paris, it sounds like you don't think the likelihood of the Bears moving to the Burbs is... Oh, it's... it's. Oh, you think that's happening? It's, a, it's happening. It's happening unless they can't get the financing. They, this is too good to pass up. I mean, they, they, they and they want control of their own destiny, which they do not have with Soldier Field. They're at the mercy of the Park District and Mayor Lightfoot, with whom they clash a lot. So I was saying, the, the only chance that the city of Chicago has is to give them a giant piece of land to let them build their dream stadium... There's the 78. That's a giant piece of land in an awesome location. Maybe the developer there could work with the Bears. There's the old U.S. Steel site, the Southwark site, right on the lakefront uh, in South Shore. Huge site. Uh, and I don't see any evidence that the, the mayor's office is working with the team, unless you do, Alex, or any older people are saying, hey, let's find another solution, because they do not want to stay at Soldier Field. It's not going to happen, whether you dress it up with a roof or not. And I don't <laughs> think that those plans are realistic anyway. Um they're gone, uh, and and I think the fans understand. It's the fan reaction so far has yeah, been pretty so, positive. Yeah, so how are Arlington Heights residents feeling though? Well, uh, we you know we had a smattering of them last. Are they night. like yes? I think most of them are like this is come cool. on traffic. This, this is great. No, we're worried about the traffic. I I think a slight majority of them don't want to have taxpayer money help this, yeah. and they are worried about the traffic. But we spoke to a lot that were so super enthusiastic. We love the Bears. We want them in our backyard now. With with these things, you know, teams in, employ a lot of PR help, and maybe maybe that's generating some of the positive feedback mm, that they're be. getting. But it seemed like the feedback was more positive than negative. I don't think they're going to get a lot of resistance to go there. They're just going to get resistance to having public money help them. Yeah. They could sell parking and $2 Gatorades right outside the stadium. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How big of a deal do you all think this is if the Bears move to the suburbs? Any thoughts, Laura? I haven't been to a game yet, but I've been wanting to. <laughs> I would love to go to one before they leave to Arlington just because it's like down the street, right, um, here yeah. in, in the city. And I think that's I think that's why people don't want them to go because they're like, you know, a Chicago bear. So they're here in, in Chicago. They're not going to be in Chicago anymore. Yeah, it's it's kind of. Can we still call them the yeah, Chicago right. Bears? Well, that's what Mayor, Jay da- Mayor Richard J. Daly. Look at every New York team. They, the Bears threatened to move to the suburbs. And he said, well, then you're going to have to call them the Arlington Bears. You can't, you can't call them the Chicago Bears anymore. Right. And, uh, but the Chicago Bears of Arlington Heights. Like of Arlington. Yeah. Right. But you know, right. it's cool that we had the distinction in the city of Chicago having every major pro sports team within the city limits. And that's going to be sad yeah. to lose. Let's get the buzz on something else. Cannabis. Social equity <laughs> advocates held a press thank you. Social equity advocates held a press conference Wednesday and had some harsh words for the state. Here's what cannabis business operator Ambrose Jackson, who's CEO of the 1937 group, here's what he had to say. Governor Pritzker and Illinois legislators, our cannabis social equity program is on the verge of collapse. And who's being hurt? It's us, the very people who this program was meant to help. Yeah, we haven't talked about this in a little bit, Alex. Bring us up to speed. What are the main obstacles they're facing 
Yeah, just a little bit of context behind this is that it has now been two and a half years since the legalization of, you know, weed sales in Illinois. And as the law was designed, it was it, it was meant to give people of color, entrepreneurs of color, a huge leg, not, you know, ability to really get a foothold in the industry like they haven't been in other states. And here we are two and a half years later, the um, what's called social equity license is designed to uh, help diversify the, the industry had been held up in court for so long. And finally, just within the last couple months, the um, uh, IDFPR and the Pritzker administration issued, I think it's 185 new dispensary licenses. But, you know, all this time later, the industry has really gotten uh, going. There's been so much consolidation and buildup. Um, interest rates are, are so much higher now. And suddenly these um, uh, these entrepreneurs who have just been sort of waiting in purgatory, in some cases losing a lot of money while they're waiting for this to get settled, need to build out their uh, their locations. And they need they need investors. And so this um, group in the uh, uh, Illinois Cannabis Equity uh, uh, Coalition. Um, a big thing that they were talking about is that there is so much red tape within the system already yeah. that they're not allowed to change their ownership structures. They're not allowed to take on equity investors. Um, so that's until, one change that they would like to see for sure. That's right. They want to they be able to see equity investors come on. Of course, then from the administration, they're saying, well, then how do you know that you know, a wealthy white business won't take a whole bunch of equity and then suddenly it's not a, a minority-owned business anymore. So yeah. it's it's very difficult. It's kind of a catch-22 that they're stuck in where they can't get a license until they get more Can't investments. This is still happening. This is still, still a and, thing. Uh, it's, it's really just a... Like, I got to Chicago almost two years ago, and this was, like, one of the first yeah. things I covered here on, on Reset. And I mean, it's really... Uh, it feels like the needle just has not moved. And it's just an embarrassment and a black mark for the, the Pritzker administration, which was really centered its legalization push around equity, and we were going to be the one state that was going to get it right. And here we are, you know, almost three years later, and there's not a, yeah. a single um, black-owned dispensary. But you also see, you know, you see the people that won the licenses, and then they're turning around. And I mean, eventually, this is all going to be gobbled up by these big pot conglomerates that, yeah. that, that right. exist, you know, and it's yeah. not going to be the mom-pa thing right. that I mean, that's where the incentives are for them, for right. sure. I mean, right. if no, you're facing I, all these barriers... If you got the license can... and you're facing these barriers, why not sell and make millions of dollars? Right. Yeah. Well, Lara, you covered a deadly altercation at a marijuana dispensary this week. Quickly tell us what happened there. I did. I normally don't cover, you know, like daily violence, but that was something that, I, that just kind of uh, happened this Monday after we came back from... Uh, the long weekend. Um, it was a, a, a man approached a security guard at a marijuana dispensary with an axe and was like, just, uh, you know, threatening him. And so that led to an altercation and the security guard was armed. He, he shot uh, at the, at the, at the man that was um, uh, trying to hurt him. And, mm -hmm. and, and then the, the, the man passed away. This was in Greek town. This it? was in Greek town. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and there's no, there's still no reason and no exact reason as to why or how that was, uh, you know, the, the man approached the security guard. Jeez. Well, I got to jump on this before we, we wrap up today. Two new COVID vaccines mm -hmm. are here available this week in Chicago. What's different about these vaccines, Paris? Well, these are, are ones uh, specifically designed to treat the BA5 and BA4 variant, which is the like overwhelmingly dom dominant strain right now because mm -hmm. that strain was found to not be very resistant to the old vaccine. So the city's got something like 150,000 uh, doses. There's a couple hundred thousand uh, more uh, across the state. And, you know, the reality is that uh, 
you know, we're going to have to get boosters every year. Uh, so it, is this going to be like the flu vaccine? Yeah, I, it, it, it certainly seems that way. And, and I, I don't know what the participation rate is going to be. With the, It seems like people have just kind of fallen off. Yeah. Um, what do you I, think, Alex? Do you think people are going to go out and get another COVID vaccine? I really hope so. I mean, I'm one of those who, I, it was like Christmas morning for me. I was refreshing and waiting for the next appointment to come up. And uh, <laughs> I, got mine, I got mine in the books. And it was actually pretty easy, which I guess is not a good sign for how many people want them. Yeah, right I don't, I don't yeah. think but, um, so. I don't think people are following up with it. Yeah. I mean, I again, I really hope Time that will they tell. will for all yeah. of our sake. But I just, I just want those sweet antibodies. Get them in me. So <laughs> almost time to go, folks. But as we wrap up, I'm wondering what stories you think really stuck out to you this week. Maybe something that surprised you or that you thought was underreported. Quick rapid fire. You yeah. first. Uh, A.D. Quigg in the Tribune had this fascinating story about the Obama Presidential Center and how they have really high salaries yes. for these <laughs> folks. Way higher than other nonprofits. And really? at some point they're going to build that center. But at this point, I don't really know what they do there. So I thought she she went and dug up uh, the salaries in $300,000, dollars yeah. Wow, it's good work if you I can get that it. One. It's, oh, it's a great story. Great story. That was A.D.? I'll, AD, I'll have to AD, check that out. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Well, one thing that I don't know that it was necessarily undercovered, but one thing that that we didn't talk about here was um, uh, Congressman Chuy Garcia mm. making yes, a big splash, kind of yeah. sending this kind of he stole yours. Press releases. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> think of another one. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, he said this kind of oblique, oblique press right. release, being like, "I'm going to make a big announcement," <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and then it wasn't. Yeah, and it's um, not what you think it's going to be because then he he just announced some aldermanic endorsements, and I think that it's going to be. I'm going to be re- really watching, even if he he doesn't. Yeah. Um, run. He. It, I'm going to be watching what he does, who he endorses, because he kind of whiffed on his. So you're just um, going to be stalking him for the next little bit. Oh, sure. To see yeah. what he does. Yeah, I'm sure he will. <laughs> I've, got, I've got his number. Let's call him right <laughs> <Me> now. <too. laughs> Laura, anything yeah, else? Yeah, well, I think I, I can go back to the alderman and alderwoman leaving. I think that's something to look into yeah. is who's going to take over those. Uh, those areas. Um, a lot of, I've seen a lot of people, you know, in, in um, Lopez's word, like there's this very young progressive woman that's making a lot of noise there. So very interested in, in, in finding out who's going to take over. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mainly obviously am a very uh, familiar with the Latino, p- predominantly Latino communities, but mm-hmm. like Cardenas is leaving from that little village yeah. area too. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how not only will the politics change, but how those yeah. uh, the communities will change mm. as well. That's it for the Weekly News Recap. My thanks to Laura Rodriguez-Pressa, Alex Nitkin, and Paris Schutz. Thank you, folks. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. Today's Weekly News Recap was produced by Andrea Guffman and mixed by Ethan Schwab. If you're the type of person who enjoys a more visual experience, you can now watch the recap. So head over to the WBEZ Facebook or WBEZ YouTube page and get caught up. You know we love hearing from you, so leave us a rating and review. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.
Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.